Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 21 in the book of John entitled The Eternal Security of the Sheep, where we discuss John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, we're going to zero in on one particularly beautiful promise when he says, no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand or out of the Father's hand. Mm. So we're going to zero in on what kind of eternal security that should give us and why it's so vital for us to have that security. You know, some people, some religious systems uh, do not want us to have uh, eternal security. They don't want us to have assurance of salvation. I think about the Roman Catholic Church in particular that you know, seems to reverse the order of justification and sanctification. Be holy first, then we'll let you know if you're gonna go to heaven, your sins are forgiven. And so you're just working on the works plantation the whole time, and, and many cults are like this. You're constantly, you're not sure where you stand. You gotta keep doing these good works. Mm. And for me to know right from the beginning of my Christian life that no one can snatch me out of Jesus' hand and that I'm secure and I'm going to heaven, uh, that comes right out of the text today. We're also going to see, as usual, a division. Uh, those that believe and are saved, at the, even toward the very end of the chapter, and those that just will not believe, and, and Jesus has to address them as well. Well, as we get started, let me go ahead and read John 10, 22 through 42 for us. At that time... The Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. Andy, what was the Feast of Dedication, and why did the Jews gather around Jesus? What was their attitude? Well, the Feast of Dedication is what we would know today as Hanukkah. So you think about the menorah, and you know some of us have Jewish friends that celebrate at that time of year. And it, it harkens back to the time when, um, when the temple had been defiled by, I think, Antiochus Epiphanes, a Greek, leader and they uh, were able to seize it back even militarily and purify it and then rededicate the temple so they could continue the animal sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know all the traditions and all the history of Hanukkah, but that's what we're talking about. 
feast of dedication. It was in winter, and so he's walking in the temple. What was the Jews' attitude as they gather around him here? <laughs> Bizarre. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And uh, I did tell you, you know, it reminds me of the man born blind. It's like, you want me to go back over it again? Now, uh, he did use veiled language. He did use symbolic language, but he told them what they needed to hear. I, I mean, before Abraham was born, I am. I mean, what more plainly? They knew what he was saying then. But uh, he was claiming clearly. And so they, they're continued, they're persistent unbelief. It, to me, it's not much different than when they say the day after feeding the 5,000, you know, show us a sign. It's like, what, another one? <laughs> I mean, I did that yesterday. That's why you're here. Hmm. So um, when are you going to tell us whether you're the Messiah? And Jesus' answer is, I did tell you, and you didn't believe. So, so what's Jesus' basic explanation then for why they continue to refuse yeah. to believe? It's election. It really comes down to election. The reason you don't believe is you're not my sheep, not the mm. other way around. So some of the Arminian or the free will positions would be you believe, then you become his sheep. And I understand that because it would be similar to saying you believe and then you're a Christian. I, I understand that. But Jesus definitely reverse, reverses here. The reason you do not believe is you are not my sheep. Mm. And so it's just like all that the Father gives me will come to me. John 6, we talked about that in that chapter. Uh, that's election. So the reason you do not believe is you are not elect. Now here's the thing. We can't know that. Jesus, Jesus can know that. I can say somebody's not converted, but I can't say that they're not elect. That I can't say. But here Jesus has the power to say that. He knows exactly who these people are, what their destiny is, where they're heading. That's the reason they don't believe because they're not his sheep. I think that's a helpful distinction for us. Can you speak to how that helps us even as we think about sharing the gospel and how these things aren't antithetical to the gospel but actually help yeah. us and encourage us as we seek to make Jesus known to a lost world? Sure. Well, let's go to the podcast we did last time and there's going to be this one flock and one shepherd. So what we're going for is we're going for Jesus' sheep who are as yet unconverted. Mm -hmm. They are his sheep and they don't know it yet. You know, they're, they're his sheep and they're going to be part of that one flock following one shepherd, hmm. and they just don't know it yet. So, you know, more simply, Paul uses the language, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So that's 2 Timothy. And so fundamentally, uh, that helps us in evangelism. We are on a quest for people that God has chosen by name before the foundation of the world, who will most certainly at some point be converted and come to faith in Christ. Now, if they do it while we're standing there sharing the gospel with them, oh, all of us would love mm. that. But if we just play a role and we're little by little helping them come to faith in Christ years later, I'm okay with that too. We'll find out on judgment. It doesn't matter. Whatever our role is, others have done the hard work and you get to harvest. So whatever our role is, but that's pretty exciting to go find unconverted sheep and, and call them to follow the shepherd. Mm. And Jesus even kind of reverts back to this language in verse 27 uh, when he says, My sheep hear my voice, I mm -hmm. know them, and they follow me. Mm -hmm. So this would be potentially for those who have mm -hmm. not yet believed, but sure. also, as we talked about last time, for yeah. those of us who are in Christ. Yeah. How can Christians today continue to hear the voice of Jesus? Well, this is actually a very, very important verse for my own conversion uh, story. I was... Um, I was unconverted in my junior year at MIT, and I was working in a lab, and, and um, 
a friend of mine had invited me to a retreat with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I didn't want to go. And I lied to him and told him I'd think about it, but I had no intention of thinking about it. I knew I wasn't going to go. Mm. I didn't go to any of his meetings. I went to one of those Campus Crusade meetings, and then I didn't like it. I thought the Christians were weird. I didn't like him. I mean, what are the odds I'm going to go to that retreat? But I was sitting alone, and I was, and I heard a very strong voice in my mind, in my heart. It, was, it wasn't in my ears, but it was so strong that I answered out loud. And the voice said, you're going to that retreat. And I knew the purpose of the retreat was to become a Christian. I knew that's why, why I would go. And I didn't want to become a Christian. Mm. So I said, no, I'm not. But the Lord never loses those arguments. And it wasn't until years later they put two and two together, put this text together with what happened to me that night. My sheep hear my voice. I've, uh, they follow me and I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. And so I knew Jesus was calling me to follow him. There's no doubt in my mind. And so, therefore, it wasn't really the guy who led me to Christ was named Steve. It wasn't really Steve's words that matter. It wasn't the evangelist pastor guy that they came to preach hmm. the gospel. I don't even barely remember his name. He wasn't the point. The point was Jesus was calling me to follow him. Now, for me now, uh, it's an ongoing quest. I want to follow him every moment. I want to follow where he leads, and he's leading to the Father. He's leading to heaven through a pathway of good works. So I want to follow him in doing the good works until I get to heaven. And so I still am seeking to hear his voice and I'm still following him. And so are you, brother. Absolutely. So, yeah. And day to day, what are some practical ways that we do that, that we seek to hear yeah. Jesus' voice on a, on a regular basis? Well, John 14, 21 implies the more obedient we are, the mm -hmm. more he will disclose himself to us. The more disobedient, things will get more fuzzy, hazy. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say is have a daily quiet time, find out from the Lord what he wants you to do today and do it. And the more you get into the habit of hearing and obeying, the more you'll hear him say to you. He'll start expanding. He'll start disclosing more and more important, awesome things. He'll start showing you more ministry opportunities and people to share the gospel with and, you know, missions and ministries that he wants you to do. And you'll just become more and more aggressively, courageously, faith-filled in obedience. And you'll follow him better and better. Yeah. And Ephesians 2.10 has just been a... Uh, stronger and stronger reminder through the years for me of the fact that the Lord has prepared things for us to do. Mm -hmm. If we're in Christ, that there's work for us to do, and yeah. uh, it's incumbent upon us to find out what those things are and then, then to do them, to walk mm -hmm. in obedience to His grace. Yeah. What assurance does Jesus give His sheep in verses 28 through 30? And how does God's power and authority guarantee the mm -hmm. salvation of Christ's sheep. This is what you spoke about at the yeah. beginning, the central promise that we uh, are going to reflect on here. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about these verses. Okay, so he says, um, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. By the way, let's not skip that. I know them mm. because many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. Mm. Away from me, you evildoers. So fundamentally, when he says, I know them, he's saying, they're mine. I'm going to own, own you hmm. uh, as my own. Not own you like a master and a slave. I'm, I think that's true as well in a different way than we can ever imagine. But he says, I'm going to own you as mine. Yes, he's my child. I'm going to say that about you on judgment day. So I know them and uh, they follow me. So there's a dynamic here. We're not where we need to be. We've got a place, we've got a journey to go on. That's why we call this Two Journeys Ministry. We're not where we're going to end up. So we're going to follow Jesus. And then he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So we're talking right now about eternal security. What that means is 
Just like in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him mm. should not perish, but have eternal life. Same couplet, not perish, you do have eternal life. So we're talking about not hell, you will get heaven. So that's what I think it means. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Where do we spend eternity alive but in heaven? Now it is a quality of life now, so he gives us eternal life now, but it's, uh, it's consummated in heaven. So I'm gonna give them eternal life and they shall never perish. There's no way that we can perish. It's impossible for his sheep to perish. It means he will have failed them as a good shepherd and he cannot fail. This is the exact same teaching as John 6. He says, I will raise them up at the last day. You're going to be with me forever in heaven. This is what eternal security is all about. And then he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. So that's a violent image of an enemy, mm. the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy, like Satan, coming to Jesus and overpowering him and taking his possessions. Jesus says, no, 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 I do that to Satan. He's the strong man and I'm stronger than him. And I overpower him and I plunder his house. So his, uh, his sheep, Jesus' sheep are booty plundered from Satan's house, hmm. mixing the metaphor a bit. So we uh, have been plundered. No one can return the favor. Satan can't go on a return trip and say, we're gonna go and get the sheep back from Jesus. You can't do it. Hmm. This is the hand of omnipotence. No one is able to snatch them from my hand. So again, we have another image very strong in John's writings in Revelation. Chapter one, Jesus is portrayed as a radiant, glorious high priest in a long white robe with a golden sash. And in his right hand are seven stars and they represent the seven churches and the pastors of the seven churches, the apostles, or I mean the messengers, the angels of the seven churches, they're in his right hand. Try to take them out if you can. You can't. He's got them gripped in his hand. I remember years ago with my kids, I used to play a game where I would, I would take something from them, like my daughter would have a, um, you know, a, a, a hair barrette or some ribbon, and I'd put it in the center of my hand, and I'd clench my fist, and I'd have them try to unfold my digits. Yeah. But uh, I found that I had to stop doing that because when they got to be like preteens and even teenagers, they would literally break my fingers if, <laughs> if need be. And so that game was Became over. A little more violent. Yeah, they yeah. were they were stronger than when they were kids. But you can imagine, you know, a little a little four year old, five year old cannot unclench my fist. We used to play games with that. Um, but here we're talking about omnipotence. The mm. gap between the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is infinite above every creature, including Satan. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand or out of my hand. Oh, we get to the father now. Jesus also says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. It's greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So this is, this is like hand in hand. Jesus has them, the father has them, and it's impossible. So this is the language of absolute eternal security. Hmm. What does Jesus mean by that last statement there, I and the Father are one in verse 30? It, it, I, in one sense, I'm going to say I know what it means. In another sense, I don't know what it means. Mm. It is the mystery of the Trinity. It's a mystery that I cannot fully fathom. I don't find the threeness difficult to comprehend. I think all over the world there are polytheistic religious systems. So we don't really have a hard time understanding Zeus and Apollo 
and you know Aphrodite and all these different gods and goddesses. So it makes perfect sense. What we don't get is how it is still true. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and the Father is the one God, and the Son is the one God, and the Spirit is the one God. So John 10.30 is the essence of the mystery of the Trinity for me. I and the Father are, that's a plural verb in the English language, we are one. And so I've tried my whole Christian life to understand it. Um, I, I think at least it means these things, like in Philippians 2.2, one translation says, um, you know, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So what I get out of that is they agree about everything. Mm. They see everything the same way. They love the same things to the same proportion or degree. They love some things more than others and other things less. They hate the same things to the same proportion or degree. Some things more, some things less. They are exactly heart aligned with each other. They have the same purpose for the human race and for all of the details, macro and micro, everything in total agreement. And it's always been that way mm. from eternity past and will be for eternity future. And yet they are separate in some mysterious way, persons of the Trinity so they can have a relationship with each other. That's the language I've been taught by theologians to use. Makes as much sense to me as I possibly can get it, but it really is essentially mysterious. Mm. And it's also pretty cool because we Christians are supposed to be one with each other. We're supposed to maintain the unity in the spirit, etc. A husband and wife become one flesh. That's just a, a dim reflection of the real oneness, and the real oneness is spiritual between a Christian husband and this Christian wife. So the oneness is a mystery. It's mm. an ultimate mystery. Yeah. And what an encouraging statement mm -hmm. after hearing about being in Jesus' hand and in the Father's hand mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus and the Father are one, mm -hmm. that they would agree completely on the sheep, that there's yeah. never a point of disagreement between then, the Father and the Son as to the status of the sheep, yeah. but they have great security because of this reality. Yeah, and, and later in John 17, Jesus is going to pray that we will be as one as they are mm. one. And so what I think of when I think of the fractured, broken world we live in, in which sin breaks everything apart, to know that we are going to a place where Christ's sheep will be as one with each other as the Father and the Son are one. And yet we will be separate persons. We're not going to lose our identity like in Hinduism like or Buddhism, nirvana, where you're a drop in an endless sea and you can't find the drop once it's slipped into the sea. No, we will maintain our individuality and yet be perfectly one with another individual that's also glorious in heaven. It's a mystery, but it's pretty exciting. Mm. Yes, it is. Well, in verse 31 and 33, the Jews are less than pleased with Jesus' Pretty statement. Uh, and uh, they, they actually pick up stones to kill Jesus. How do you think they viewed themselves in that moment? And what evidence does Jesus use to prove his truthfulness? You know, later, Jesus is going to warn his apostles, the time will come when they will put you out of the synagogues. Mm. In fact, anyone who kills you will think that he is rendering service to God. So they, they, to answer your question, they think they're rendering service to God. They are... They are killing a, a heretic, a mm. false teacher, who is claiming to be God in the flesh. He's claiming to be equal to God. Now, Jesus, it's interesting, defends himself saying, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? It's a bit of an edgy, almost not sarcastic question, but almost that way. It's like, look, I'm healing people. Mm -hmm. I'm doing good. Mm -hmm. Why are you killing me? 
But again, he's pointing to the central evidence along with the scripture. The scripture prophecies and Jesus' works, his miracles, together make absolute proof of who he is. And they should have believed it. So he's pointing them again to one of the two great evidences, along with the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. But he points to the scripture in John 5, and he points to the miracles, and he's pointing to them, but they're not listening. Mm. Well, how does Jesus use Psalm 82, mm. verse 6, to save his life? Can I be honest with you? I don't know. Hmm. This is one of the hardest passages I've ever studied, along with the millennium, some other things that just, I don't really understand how Psalm 82, 6 fits here. I know how the Mormons use it. <laughs> saying, I said, you plural are gods, uh, but I'm not going to go there with them. They sure. believe in deification of people, so that we're all gods. Um, so I've been told that the word Elohim in the Old Testament can refer sometimes to great ones in society. And so he's saying, why get tripped up on the words God or son of God? Look at the reality. Mm. He gave those to whom the word of God came an elevated role. But if you read Psalm 82, he says, I said you're gods, but you're all going to die like men. You're just ordinary men, but you're elevated by receiving the word of God. Now, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and then he says an important phrase, and the scripture cannot be broken. Hmm. We should circle back and talk about sure. that in a moment. Yeah. But he says, then why are you angry with me? Because I claim to be the son of God. So I guess as I'm trying my best to understand Jesus' argument here, first of all, it's remarkable. Psalm 82, it's not one of the more famous Psalms. Jesus lived a life saturated in scripture. Hmm. I mean, they're about to kill him and he reaches for Psalm 82, for goodness sake. Yeah, you know? I, don't know that, I don't know that that's where I'm reaching if, if oh. I'm in that situation. No, but that I mean he just knows the Bible and he there's just he's woven it as he's dying on the cross he's quoting Psalm 22. Mm. He's he's yeah. thirsting in answer to a psalm a prophecy in another psalm. It's just incredible. He's just you can't can't unweave Jesus and the written word. So, um I don't fully understand how it defends him here, but Jesus thought it did and that's good enough for me. And in heaven, I'll guess, I guess I'll fully understand the exegesis. But I think what he's saying is, don't get tripped up on the claim. Look at the evidence. Mm. Who am I? What do the miracles show me to be? I think that's what he's getting at here. Well, let's circle back to that statement that you mentioned okay. in verse 35 about Jesus' doctrine of Scripture. Mm -hmm. How should this give us confidence in right. the reliability of Scripture? Okay, Scripture cannot be broken. Mm. Wow. All right, one image in the New Testament is that the Scripture is like a sword, okay? So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. All right, imagine, and I, I, I watch sometimes videos and, re, and read uh, other articles on how steel was forged in the, in the day. You get the katana, the samurai sword, or you got Damascus steel, which is just a special kind of steel. Here's the thing, what you really want with a steel sword is a combination of hardness and ductility. It has to be able, it can't just be brittle like a, like a diamond. The hardest thing there is a diamond, but it, it's brittle and cracks along fissures. So you want something that'll stop it from, so it's got to be ductile, but you want it to hold an edge. So here's the thing. Sword meets sword in the battlefield. One of them breaks, the other one doesn't. Which of those two men is going to live? Mm. That's what I'm 
I'm saying. And so what he's saying is scripture breaks every other sword, every lie, every, every false concept. Scripture is still standing at the end of the day shiny and radiant and without any notches along the edge. It's nothing's changed it. You know, sword to sword, clang. You hear this, the, this, this loud clang as two mighty warriors smash. And one of the swords break. The other one doesn't actually even have a notch, doesn't have a mark. Nothing. That's scripture. Mm. So we're wrangling over, trying to understand this passage, Psalm 82, 6 and all that. Look, <laughs> if the Lord doesn't return in our lifetime and our great, great, great grandkids, Scripture is still going to be here saying the exact same thing. It doesn't change. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but God's words will never pass away. So when it says scripture cannot be broken, it means it's unchanging. Also absolutely authoritative. It wins the day. The truth of God is in the scripture. It cannot be broken. So I think it's pretty cool. Also, just the mockery, Voltaire, others saying, ah, within 100 years, nobody's going to be reading the Bible. Yeah, no. it's. uh, I remember a statement made. um, uh, Scripture is an anvil that has destroyed many hammers. Wow. So you hammer away on the thing, and it's mm. just like your hammer's going to get destroyed before the anvil goes away. So that's pretty strong. Yeah, and this confidence in Scripture, even the reason that we would spend the time that we do in a podcast like this, looking mm-hmm. at the Word of God, is because yeah. of its surpassing power and beauty and mm-hmm. this very statement that Scripture cannot be broken. Amen. So what's the connection then between the proper handling of this Word, this Scripture mm-hmm. that cannot be broken, and a proper recognition of Jesus? Well, I think Scripture's ultimate task is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.15. That's what it's given to do. Mm. Secondary task is two verses later, so that we'll be um, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Mm. So having been brought to faith in Christ, now what do I do? Do good works, every good work. So internal works of holiness, external works of gospel advance, hence the two journeys. So that's what we're doing, good works. So scripture is woven into Jesus. And what scripture does all the time, what the Holy Spirit does, is points us to the person of Jesus Christ so that we continue to be saved. Salvation's a process and we are useful to him. So read the Bible, study it. It bears this kind of meticulous scrutiny. Hardest thing for us in these podcasts, get it all done in a short time, brother. It's true, so. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I've asked this question quite a few mm-hmm. times in recent episodes, but how does the interaction here with the Jews end? Well, um, with them, his enemies, they try to seize him. They're ready right. to kill him. So they, they're as far from believing him as they can be. And that that's going to, that's part of God's plan. Uh, Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our message? So through unbelief, they will kill him, and in so doing, they will save the world. They will save those that believe. But then there are others, comparing it with John the Baptist, they're saying, look, John pointed this man. Everything he said about this man is true, and many put their faith in Jesus. So again, John is just so, it's a genius book. It's always light and darkness, the separation of the, of the good from the bad. And so you got some that hate him and mm. will not believe, but others that do believe. Yeah, love that last verse, verse 42, and many believed in him there. That's John's point. Yeah, yeah, the whole point of the book, (laughs) that we would believe. Mm. Any final thoughts that you have for us today on this passage? Yeah, I think for me, as I I look at this, uh, first of all, the eternal security, just Mm -hmm. knowing that I cannot be snatched from Jesus' hand. And I, I know some Arminians try to say, yeah, but you can jump out of Jesus' hand. Look, the problem all, all along was my will and my heart and my own corruptions. That was always the problem. So Jesus isn't going to get me half fixed from all that and say, boy, you're really a challenge. I'm going to have to dump you. Mm. So I just know that I'm going to end up and have an eternal security. But then what that caused me to do is puts into death, grow in holiness, 
do the works of God. And then secondly, just a high view of Scripture. Scripture cannot be broken. That I would get to the point where I reach for a version of Psalm 82.6 or some other thing at key moments. Mm. Things I didn't even know were in the Bible. And then he shows them to me. There's more for me to learn in Scripture, and I want to learn it. Yeah. And I think that's true for all of us, that we want to learn and we want to continue to grow. And so I appreciate this time and the role that it plays in that. So this has been episode 21 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for episode 22, entitled Sickness and Death for the Glory of God, where we'll discuss John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. Thanks for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.